0: If you're like me, it's really, really easy to take light for granted. It's easy to take for granted that when we wake up in the morning and reach over to our bedside table or reach over to the light switch on the wall, then we turn on that switch, there's going to be light. If there's not light for some reason, which would probably be a very rare occurrence, especially in our country, uh, all we have to do probably is, is change the light bulb then we have light or maybe wait for a couple hours for electricity to come back on if there's been a storm or something. But we oftentimes just take for granted that we're going to have light. We take for granted that the sun is going to come up each morning. Because every single morning that any of us have been alive, the sun has come up. Now in our household, Micaiah makes it a little bit challenging to take that for granted sometimes because uh, we'll be sitting there having breakfast and he asks, why does the sun come up? Why is it morning? And, And you get this whole series of questions that prevents me from taking it for granted quite as much as I used to, but even still... It is so incredibly easy to take light for granted. And light is really essential for practically everything we do. Think about it. If you get rid of light, if, if you don't have much light around, it really changes your perspective on things. One of the things I oftentimes observe is that when light is gone, when it's fairly dark, oftentimes it brings out more fears and more timidity, more trepidation about things. When it comes time for bedtime, oftentimes uh, that's the time when it brings out fears. Like I think about Micaiah's. It's very common that it's time for bed. He's, he's getting into his crib. And at some point in the process of going to bed, he asks, or he says, I'm afraid. And I ask him, what are you afraid about? Even though I usually know what the answer is. Shelley's giving me the eye right now, maybe saying, don't say it. She's covering his ears. <laughs> but he'll oftentimes say, I'm scared of deer. And then we have this long conversation about deer and how deer can't come into our house. They can't open doors. They aren't going to come up the stairs. They can't come in the windows. And besides, mommy and daddy are here to protect you anyway. But it's interesting the timing at which these fears come out. It's pretty much always around bedtime. When he contemplates the fact that we're going to be turning off the lights, it's going to be dark. I remember when I was young, uh, my bedroom was on the second floor of our house. When it got to be nighttime, it would be scary for me to go up by myself because it's kind of dark when you're going up the stairs. I'd want my sister or someone else to go with me because oftentimes when it gets dark, our perspective on things begins to change. And there are times when it's a legitimate fear or concern or timidity that we have in the dark. And I'm not talking about monsters under the bed or animals that are going to attack you. I'm talking about how, just as was demonstrated when Corey was blindfolded a few minutes ago, when you can't see very well, when, when, when it's not very light and the things you're looking at, you don't always know what's coming in front of you. You may run into things. You may get hurt. About six weeks ago, um, it was about 9, 9.30 at night, and through the monitor, Micaiah had been asleep. We heard him wake up, and he was yelling that he needed to use the bathroom. So I went upstairs to um, take him to the bathroom, but I didn't want him to wake up very much because I wanted him to be able to go right back to sleep. And so I didn't turn on any lights. And... You can imagine where the story's going. Well, in this particular case, there was a bathroom scale that was holding the door of the bathroom open. And this bathroom scale is a lot heavier than your typical bathroom scale. Well, my my big toe and my left foot managed to find that bathroom scale with a lot of force. And needless to say, my reaction definitely woke MacKayus up. We ended up having to turn on the light to see, what's, see what in the world I just ran into, see how my toe's doing, see if it's still attached, and then... Yeah, I'm sitting there on the bathtub while he's on the toilet, and he's asking, Daddy, what's wrong? What are you doing? And I will tell you, my toenail is still black from that, and it's about to fall off, actually, uh, from that incident. And that's what happens in the dark, because you can't see where you're going. And oftentimes, it changes your perspective. You get a little bit afraid. You get a little bit timid. It's amazing what the difference light makes as compared to darkness. So oftentimes, we just take light for granted, and then when it gets dark... Um, it changes the way we act. Today we're talking about a passage in Scripture where Jesus says, I am the light of the world. Now Jesus being the light of the world makes a big difference in our lives. In the same way that, that having light on even right now as I just turned it back on, it changes our perspective. We're going to dig into John chapter 8 today, today to see the difference that it makes in our day-to-day lives that Jesus is the light of the world. I invite you to turn in your Bibles to John 8. Today we're continuing our series called I am. It's on what are called present tense portraits of Christ where we're looking at these statements that Jesus said that all begin with the words I am and we're seeing what relevance Jesus has to our day-to-day lives. Now it's easy to think Jesus has relevance 2000 years ago. It's easy to think he has relevance in terms of giving us salvation through his death on the cross. But what relevance does he really have to our day-to-day lives? That's what we're examining in this series. And as I said, all these phrases we're looking at start with the words, I am. I am, in the culture that Jesus was a part of, I am is a very theologically loaded phrase. It it harkens back to Exodus chapter 3, much earlier in Israel's history. When Moses uh, was in a conversation with God, it was out in the wilderness. God was calling Moses to do some things with Israel and with Pharaoh and Egypt, um, and Moses said, "Who should I say sent me?" And God said, "Out of the burning bush, tell them that I am sent you." I am became the most precious name of God in Israel's history, and then Jesus comes on the scene about two thousand years ago and begins calling himself I am. And this stirred up quite a ruckus, even as we'll see today. But these I am statements are not merely statements of identity or statements of what Jesus is doing. They're statements of deity, Jesus claiming to be God. And today the I am that we're looking at is when he, when he says, I am the light of the world. I invite you to pray with me, and then we're going to dig into this passage together. Lord Jesus, as we come to this passage today about a phrase that you spoke about 2,000 years ago, about how you are the light of the world. We pray that you will enlighten our eyes, enlighten our hearts and our minds to see this scripture with fresh eyes. To see, Lord, what it means that you are the light of the world and how you want to give light to the paths of our lives. We pray that you will speak to us through your word and through your spirit today. We pray these things in your name. Amen. I'm going to read uh, verses, eight, or verses 12 through 20 of John chapter 8 and starts out saying that when Jesus spoke again to the people, he said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. The Pharisees challenged him. Here you are appearing as your own witness. Your testimony is not valid. Jesus answered, even if I testify on my own behalf, my testimony is valid. For I know where I came from and where I am going. But you have no idea where I came from or where I'm going. You judge by human standards. I pass judgment on no one. But if I do judge, my decisions are right because I am not alone. I stand with the Father who sent me. In your own law, it's written that the testimony of two men is valid. I am one who testifies for myself, and my my witness is my Father." Who sent me? Then they asked him, Who is your father? Where is he? You do not know my, me or my father, Jesus replied. If you knew me, you would know my father also. He spoke these words while teaching in the temple area near the place where the offerings were put. Yet no one seized him because his time had not yet come. Now, as we dig into this passage, I want to give a little bit of historical background to help us understand what's taking place here. Now, when I speak of historical background, there may be some of you who are thinking, all right, I I really like history. I like learning all that's going on a long time ago. There are others of you who are probably thinking, "Uh, I don't really like history. It's kind of dry, kind of boring. I'll see if I can listen. I'll say I'm kind of somewhere in the middle where I don't get super excited about history in general. uh, But at the same time, if you show me that um, a piece of history is going to be relevant to something or that it's going to be really exciting— I do get excited about it. And this is a passage, or this history that I'm going to share here is very relevant to this passage, and it's something that as I learn more about this passage, it made me really, really excited about what's going on here in the background. So let me give you a bit of historical context of what's taking place here. Jesus is speaking at a time uh, during the year that's called the Feast of Tabernacles in Israel. The Feast of Tabernacles was an eight-day festival in the city of Jerusalem. A large portion of the population of Israel would come into Jerusalem for this eight day festival. And it's called the Feast of Tabernacles because it recalls the time hundreds of years before when Israel had been brought out of slavery in Egypt and they were wandering for about 40 years in the desert before God brought them into what's known as the Promised Land. And as they were wandering uh, through the desert, they lived in tabernacles, which were little tents uh, that they would be able to. to tie up and carry with them when they were traveling and then be able to set up as shelter when they stopped. And this Feast of Tabernacles was an annual reminder of God's faithfulness to them through that time of wandering the wilderness. And in fact, it was customary during this festival for the people who were there to build these homemade tents in order to remember what their forefathers had gone through so many centuries before. And so you have this Feast of Tabernacles going on for eight days, and there are several major events that took place during the Feast of Tabernacles. And one of the events that took place involved a lot of light. Now, specifically, there are four massive lamps that were set up in the temple court. Now, when you think of lamps, don't think of a desk lamp or a floor lamp or even a street lamp, even though street lamps are pretty big. These lamps, some historians say, were up to about 75 feet tall. 75 feet tall, and on each one of these lamps were four basins that held oil uh, that that fueled the lamp. And each of these basins of oil would have about 10 gallons of oil placed into them. And at night, these four lamps with four basins each, so 16 total little lamp-type things up there, would all be lit at the same time at night and just light everything up. You can kind of see a diagram of what that may have looked like behind me. And it would, it would be a spectacular sight, and it was a spectacular celebration that would take place then. Uh, there would be singing, there would be dancing, there would be a band there of, of priests playing harps and, and probably guitar-type things and, and drums and cymbals. There would be a tremendous party, a, a big celebration. And the reason they did this was to remember how God had led them through the desert. You see, when God led them through the desert, he did it using a physical form to guide them. By day, the physical form looked like a cloud that would guide them. And then at night, it would look like a pillar of fire that they would use to follow uh, where God wanted them to go. We see, for instance, in Exodus chapter 13, it says, By day, the Lord went ahead of them in a pillar of cloud to guide them on their way, and by night in a pillar of fire to give them light so they could travel by day or by night, and so this pillar of fire would guide them at night in the cloud during the day, and then when they would stop and set camp, set up camp, uh, they, at the center of their camp would be what was known as the tabernacle. That would be the main place, kind of the precursor of the temple, where God's presence was most real. And this this pillar of fire would settle down near the top of the tabernacle. We see that, for instance, in Numbers chapter nine. And it says, on the day that the tabernacle, the tent of the testimony was set up, the cloud covered it. From evening till morning, the cloud above the tabernacle looked like fire. And then as the passage goes on, it talks about how that, that cloud or that fire had set off and then that's when they'd move again. And so you have this fire that was very prevalent uh, as Israel was going through the wilderness. And these massive lamps in the celebration that was set up in the temple during the Feast of Tabernacles was intended to be a reminder, a recollection of how God worked through fire and through light back in Israel's history. And so it was in this context, in this time where there's a celebration of great light, that Jesus stood up in the temple and says, Look, I am the light of the world. He's saying, look, you might have some good light around here. Odds are good the, those massive lamps may have been put out by the time that Jesus said this. And, and that was just a, a, a recent memory of that great light in the temple. But Jesus is standing here saying, I am the light of the world. And the people had, did not like what Jesus had to say there. We see an immediate response in verse 13 that the Pharisees challenged him saying, here you are appearing as your own witness. Your testimony is not valid. And so what they're basically saying is, Jesus, you can say whatever you want, but no one around here is vouching for you. You don't have any witness uh, saying, hey, I agree with Jesus. Jesus is the light of the world. Jesus is someone big. They're saying, you have no credibility here. Then Jesus says, look, you don't really understand what you're saying. Even if I testify on my own behalf, my testimony is valid, for I know where I came from and I know where I'm going. And it goes on a little bit later to talk about his heavenly father. He says, In your own law it is written that the testimony of two men is valid. I am one who testifies for myself. My other witness is my father who sent me. So Jesus is receiving his authority from his heavenly father, God himself who sent him into this world. And it's from God himself that Jesus derives his authority to declare that he is the light. Of the world. And so, so he's standing there saying, I am the light of the world. And I want to draw out some of the significance of this. It's one thing to look at the historical context, it's another thing just to say Jesus' authority came here because he's God. And in fact, if you look through the rest of John chapter 8, you'll see that it continues a conversation about is Jesus really God? Who is he? Who is, he? Who is Jesus' father? And at the end, you actually get to the point where they're about to stone him to death because they don't like what he's saying. As you can see, the people around him thought what Jesus claims had great significance. What's, this, what's the significance of Jesus being a lie of the world for us today? Well, one of the things we need to recognize is that Jesus illuminates the truth. He illuminates the truth. That's what light does. When you have an absence of light, you really can't see what's going on around you. But when the light comes on, You can see clearly so you don't run into things. You can see clearly if something's clean or if something's dirty. That's one of the things that the light does. And the light of Jesus, when it shines in our world or in our lives, one of the things it reveals is ugliness at times. It reveals sin. Again, if you don't have light, you can't see sometimes stains. Imagine um, that it was kind of dark in here, and I had some stains on my clothes. I had a chocolate stain right up here on my shirt. Had a had a grease stain on my pants from where a hamburger fell down there. had some mud on my shoes. had some spinach in my teeth. If it was dark in here, you wouldn't even notice, would you? I mean, I could give a decent message, and you could go home and say, oh, that was nice, and you would have no idea that I have stains and mud and, and spinach all over me. But you turn on the lights... And there would be a completely different reaction, wouldn't there? Even if no one said anything to me personally, I imagine you'd be going home, and on your way home, you'd be like, what's up with that pastor today? I mean, if this is your first time visiting, you'd be like, I don't want to go back there again. I mean, that's the difference between light and dark, that when there's light, you can see things. You can see messiness. I mean, think about your basement in your house. You might have corners down there that's kind of dim and dark down there. You can't really see the mess until the light comes on, until you maybe even shine a brighter light than is normally there. That's the way it is, that, that light oftentimes will expose dirty, ugly stuff, including sin in our lives. When you look through Scripture, oftentimes darkness is used metaphorically to speak of sin and the ravages of sin. Light is used for purity and for God. And light, as we see throughout Scripture, exposes sin. It's not always pretty, but it's important that light has that function. Jesus' light also illuminates uh, the truth of what true beauty really is. For instance, the, the light of Jesus exposes in, in our own minds uh, the beauty of God. God. Jesus' light exposes and illuminates the beauty of the gospel, the beauty of the redemption that that Christ has purchased for us through his life, death, and resurrection. The light of Jesus illuminates in our minds the beauty of God's work in our lives and in other people's lives. That, you know, before I was a follower of Christ for the first 20 years of my life, I really didn't know and didn't care what God was doing in other people's lives around me. But now... As Jesus' truth has opened up my, my, my mind to be able to see his work in other people's lives, it gives me great joy to see God work in other people's lives. That's Jesus' light at work. And also Jesus um, illuminates the truth of, of beauty in terms of people serving one another and caring for one another. I even think of yesterday's Forever Families event, how, how beautiful that was to see people coming, around, coming together around a purpose that's at the center of God's heart and, and is serving other people. See, when Jesus, um, and when his light comes into our lives, he illuminates the truth of ugliness and sin, but also the truth of what true beauty really is. And without the light of Christ we aren't going to see either one of those things for exactly what they are. So the question for us to consider is this. Are we allowing the light of Jesus to penetrate the depths of who we are? Or are we closing ourselves up and saying, Jesus, I don't really want you to go there. I want to keep this dark corner to myself. I'm scared of what you might find. Or, or, are, we using, or are we allowing the light of Christ to illumine and shape how we view the world around us, to show us the things that are really beautiful and also to help us see more clearly the things that really aren't that beautiful. So Jesus illuminates the truth. That's a part of what it means to be the light of the world. And as he illuminates that truth, he calls us to follow it. that. mean, he says here, I'm the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. So he illuminates the truth. Secondly, a uh, second significant point he has in our lives is that Jesus is the world's only light. He's the world's only light true spiritual light. He says, I am the light of the world. And then he draws a distinction. Either you follow him and have the light or you don't follow him and then you're in darkness. It's one or the other. You think about our solar system. We only have one sun. Sun with a U, -U S-U-N. One sun, the star at the center of our solar system. That sun is the one and only thing, physically speaking, that enables life to take place in our solar system. If the sun wasn't there, if it died, it would only be darkness and death. Everything in the solar system, physically speaking, depends on the sun for energy and life. In the same way, spiritually speaking, there is only one, uh, one being, one sun with an O-S-O-N, and that's Jesus Christ, who is the light of the world, who can guide us. Now, one of the things this means is, is that we need to follow Christ. We need to put our trust in Him and to prioritize Him. Um, I mean, there are a lot of other good spiritual teachers out there. There are a lot of other good things we can devote our lives to. But the best thing, the one thing that needs to be number one, is following Christ. I want to challenge you. I I don't know where everyone is today. I mean, only God knows exactly where we are. But I want to challenge you. If you find yourself kind of on the fence where you're like... I want to follow Christ, but I'm not sure I want to give him everything. I'll just kind of ride the fence for a while and keep investigating. I want to challenge you not to stay on that fence for too long. I want to challenge you to make a decision of I'm going to follow Christ or if you need to, to turn against him. I want to encourage you to follow him. But get off the fence because I think too many people stay on that fence too long in the of, you know, I like Christ. He's kind of cool and I'm not really opposing him like the guys here in John 8. I'm just kind of on the fence trying to figure out what's going on. Some people stay on the fence far too long. And may, being on the fence, being indecisive and passive about whether or not we're going to choose Christ, is the exact same in the long run as not choosing Christ at all, as turning our back on Him. Think about if someone gave you a check for $100. In order to make that check useful, you have to take it to the bank and either deposit it or cash it. If you keep that check on your desk or in a drawer or in your wallet, and you keep it there for an extended period of time it's going to do to you the exact same good as if you ripped it up and threw it in the trash. Because choosing not to do anything with it is the same as choosing to throw it away. In the same way with Christ, choosing just to sit on the fence, not, just be passive and not make any decision regarding Him, is the exact same as turning our back on Him and running the other way. Because in the end, it'll lead to the same, same destination. So since Jesus is the world's only light, we need to turn wholeheartedly to Him. We also need to point other people to Christ to find that hope that comes from him. In fact, back in, back in Matthew chapter 5, Jesus said to his followers, you are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on a stand and it gives light, gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before men that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. Now, on at first, on first glance, that may sound contradictory with our John 8 passage because in John 8, Jesus says, I am the light of the world. Matthew 5, he says, you are the light of the world. But it's really not contradictory at all. We just have to put it into context and into perspective. Think about the moon. If there's a full moon and not many clouds, you can probably get around pretty easily outside at night without any additional help because a moon can, can give off quite a bit of light. But the moon isn't the the object that generates that light. All the moon does is reflect the sun's light in the same way we are called to reflect the light of Jesus Christ and in that way to be the light of the world around us. So we need to ask ourselves, are we being light to the world around us? Are we pointing people to Christ? Or are we just kind of holding that light inside? So Jesus illuminates the truth. He's the world's only light. And finally, Jesus wants to be our light right here and right now. You see, back uh, 2,000 years ago when Jesus was speaking at that Feast of Tabernacles, there were those big lamps 75 feet tall in the temple. That wasn't something that was dictated by God in the Bible. The Feast of Tabernacles was prescribed by God, but putting up those big lamps was not prescribed by God. It was a tradition that built up over the years. I think it was kind of a cool tradition. There wasn't anything inherently wrong with it. But the problem was that the people there at at that feast were so focused on their traditions that they had lost sight of what God was doing right in their midst, right then. Because Jesus stood among them, and God in the form of a human being saying, I am the lie of the world. Come follow me. And they rejected him. They were so focused on their traditions, they missed what God was doing right then, right there. We're talking about present tense portraits, portraits of Christ, what God is doing in our lives right now what he has to do with our daily lives. And so we have the question of, is God at work in our lives now? Or are we just focused on maybe something he did sometime in the past? It's a really telling question you can ask someone is, so tell me about your relationship with God. It's a pretty simple question. But as you listen to their response, you may be able to hear a lot about, is God at work in their lives now? Or is it just something in the past? Because if someone answers that question just by pointing back to someone like, you know, I grew up going to church in the second grade. My teacher shared the gospel with me, and my eyes were open. I prayed to receive Christ, and I, I won some awards in Bible school, and, and it was pretty cool. I was involved in my youth group. I was a leader there, and they talked for half an hour about their previous involvement in church and with God, but they never get around to talking about what God's doing in their life right now. That may indicate there's a problem that they're depending on more on what happened in the past than what God's doing in their life in the present. God wants to be active in our lives right now. It's kind of similar to if you ask a man, so tell me about your wife. And he says, well, I met her back in high school. We were high school sweethearts. And, you know, she was hot. We went to prom together. I couldn't believe that she accepted my invitation to go to prom. And we had a great time. We ended up getting engaged and we got married and had some kids and stuff. And he tells you all about the history of their relationship, but he never tells you about who she is to him right now. That probably indicates there's a problem in their marriage because marriage is meant to have a here and now aspect where there's a living, vital, loving, uh, active relationship taking place right now. Same in marriage, same with God. That He wants to have a relationship with, with us right here and right now. He wants to be our light in how we live our lives on a day-to-day basis. And you may be asking, okay, how, how do we get that into our lives? Well, in a somewhat abstract sense, we need to follow Christ. He says, whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. In a more practical sense, we need to allow the light of Christ to come in and illuminate our lives. One of the things we need to do is get ourselves in the scripture. I mean, in Psalm 119, it says, Your word is a lamp to my feet, a light to my paths. And God will speak to us through his word to illuminate where we should go. It'll also speak to us about our sin. We all have those ugly parts of our lives that need to be addressed. And and one of the things we can do to jumpstart our spiritual growth is to deal with that sin, to to recognize it, allow God's light to shine into that area, to confess it to God, to receive forgiveness. That can oftentimes jumpstart our spiritual growth. One of the other things to do is to let God's light shine through us into the world around us. I think one of the things that, again, stalls people's spiritual growth And his work in their lives here and now is that we just hold that light of Christ inside of us. And we don't share it with others. We become kind of like the Dead Sea that's dead because so many things pour into it, nothing goes out. But as we begin to share the light of Christ with those around us through our words and through our actions, that will allow God to be more and more real to us in the here and now. I want to close this morning by reading... um, a brief passage out of Philippians chapter 2 that back when I was in college it was one of my very favorite passages in Scripture. It was very inspiring. I'm going to start just a couple verses before it just to give some context. But it talks about letting God shine through us. Uh, Philippians 2 beginning in verse 14 says, Do everything without complaining or arguing so that you may become blameless and pure children of God without fault in a crooked and depraved generation. And here's the key part in which you shine like stars in the universe as you hold out the word of life. You see, as we look to Christ as the light of the world, as we allow him to illuminate our lives and to shine his light through us, Paul says we're going to shine like stars in the universe. And I think that's a beautiful picture that we should all desire, not just to hold the light of Christ inside our own lives or inside this church, to shine the world around us to help more and more people Find that Jesus truly is the light of the world who gives life. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you came to give us life and to give us light to guide us, Lord. And we confess that we so easily uh, stumble around. We walk in darkness. We we try to hide parts of our lives. We, We sometimes ride that fence too long. I pray that you'll help us to get off the fence, to follow you faithfully, to allow you to illumine our paths. God, I pray that you will shine through us, that we will recognize their faith in you is not a personal thing. It's personal, but it's more than personal. It's also about shining your light to the world around us. May we be faithful to point others to Christ, for he alone is the light that can offer life. We pray these things in his name. Amen.